Well, presto changeo. I'm not Joy. I'm not Roger. I am Karen. So give me a minute just to set up. Uh, Joy and Joy is over at Silvis. I just came from Silvis. Roger and Sean are at the walk to Emmaus, along with many others, Rob Metz, uh, Larry, and Norm, and Roger Akers. And um, if you've never been to the walk to Emmaus, it's a wonderful spiritual retreat that I really suggest anybody that has that opportunity to really learn about what it is. It is just such a, a great spiritual experience that sometimes can't even be put into words. And I know Susie will be serving next week, right, Susie, with the women's. Uh, there is a men's retreat and the women's at a, a beautiful camp out in the woods. Um, just a very uh, refreshing time of seeing God's love. Um, so anyway, here I am. Uh, I'm Karen with uh, the Director of Children's Ministry. Um, so Joy and I have the privilege of running the show today. I'm telling you, we're, we always do some different things too when the guys are doing their own thing. Seriously though, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Joy and I. Uh, we actually go back quite a few years because uh, when they pastored at Genesee First United Methodist Church, um, I was a member there, and I did a lot in the women's ministry and children's ministry, VBS, and then it came a time where Roger and Joy got transferred to the southern part of the state. She needed somebody to take over her Sunday school class. She was teaching fifth and sixth graders, and I, God called me to step up to the plate, and it was just a joy. But yes, Joy has been my mentor for over 15 years, and it's kind of neat to see the way God has worked in her own lives and in, in the timing of bringing us back together because about the same time they were being transferred back to this area was the time that I then moved into the Quad Cities. And I knew this church with Roger and Joy was going to be a Bible-believing, preaching, wonderful church. And so here I am, the rest is history. And so it is really fun for Joy and I to be together to kind of dig into the scriptures. Uh, we did Wacky Wednesday this past week and, and after all things were settled uh, around eight o'clock or so, um, we actually started to hash out some of this scripture and really dig into what was being found. We stayed here to about 9.30, the church was quiet. There was no kids running in the hallway. We were just really like, what does God mean by this? And to me, this is a lot of fun to be able to dig into the scriptures with joy. Um, so I don't know if you've seen a lot of the action around here, but almost every night there are kids. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, tutoring will start soon. We have Wacky Wednesday, we have the youth, oh, they're out in the parking lot, we're in the hallways. There is so much action, but it never surprises me when some kiddo says one-liners, and I'm like, how do they think that? Like, how do they know that? And they always throw me for a loop. Um, that is the beauty of being with children and trying to figure out where their little minds are, are taking them and to allow their, their beautiful imagination um, shine about. I heard of a kindergarten teacher who had a classroom of children, and she said, you know what, 
Take out your colors, your markers. We're new. Oh, nothing's better than new crayons, right, Terry? Yeah. And um, she said, have some free time. Just take this time to draw. And so she's looking around at, at what is going on. And, and she stops at this little girl's desk and she says, well, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing God. And the teacher says, mm, but God's, we're not sure what really God looks like, do we? And she says in, in her continued drawing without even looking up at the teacher, well, they will in a moment. <laughs> Don't you love that? What you can learn from children. And her God was whoever it was to her, but she really wanted it revealed to everybody else. I love that story. Heavenly Father, be the focus of all we are in each of our lives. Speak to us, encourage us, and forgive us. Show us who you are. May the words of my mouth be understood and be pleasing to you, our Lord. Amen. So we're going to dig into the scripture a little bit and see how the, God, the character of God is revealed to Nehemiah and can be revealed to all of us. So let me take you back and recap what's going on between chapter 1 and 3. Um, Nehemiah's gathered the Jewish people to help him rebuild the Jerusalem wall. But more importantly, remember, it's actually to rebuild their faith, to restore their faith back to God. There's been so many years where they have failed to acknowledge God, but their faith in doing this task is going to be restored. Remember last week in chapter 3, we listed all the names of the people that were working on the wall. It was the son of this one, and then the son of this one was next to this one, and the son of this one. And there was a, a man with daughters. It was a goldsmith, a perfume maker, lots of people helping out. But they were repairing, like I showed you, the area of the wall that was next to their home. What a great idea. But this is the size of it. So a little bit of history lesson. I love history. Maybe some of you do too. So when I start digging into it, we're actually in the time frame of 445 BC. Take your mind all the way back there. And as we look back to what happened in the first chapter of Nehemiah, uh, he first hears the news of the wall. His brother comes to him and says, wow, they're, they're all a rubble. Four months goes by, and Nehemiah is preparing to mention this dilemma to the king. I don't know, maybe the king wasn't available for those few months, but we do know that Nehemiah was carefully biding his time. He was in prayer, praying for the right time to go before the king because no one, and I mean no one, came to the king, entered his courts without approval first. Even if you came with a sullen face, you were not accepted. So this had to be the right timing for God. Now in Nehemiah's time, Jerusalem um, actually had about 200 people. When the walls were being built, more and more Jewish people were hearing of this, and the population actually tripled to like 600 people by the time it was uh, completely built. Nehemiah was certainly building to God's glory, and the Jewish people saw that need to return. But this is part of the reason that the Persian Empire is feeling nervous 
and opposition arises. They think now, what if the Jewish people get so many people that they rise up? What if there is a conflict with the Persian Empire? So these two rabble-rousers that we'll read in the scripture are the beginning of this conflict. Another interesting fact is Elul. Did you know that the wall was completed in the month of Elul? And according to the Hebrew calendar, it falls in the month of September. Yeah, Nehemiah 6.15, the month of Elul, which is exactly where we are today. This is where we are seeing God's goodness today in our own church. This is where we are going to celebrate. This is the time that we come together, like building the wall with Nehemiah. This is when we're coming together as our own family. I think that's God's perfect timing. Elul is considered a spiritual preparation, repentance, and forgiveness. According to Jewish tradition, it is a month in which God, God's people can find favor with him, a time to give him thanks and praise for all of his wondrous deeds. Yes, we are celebrating God's goodness in our church and the foundation of many lives here this month. Nehemiah couldn't do it alone, and neither can we. Like Nehemiah, we need people with vision, with tools, with uh, financial wisdom, with uh, those willing to step in the line of prayer to have the word of God um, continually surround us to build God's kingdom. So I want you to take a look at your bulletin. Look at the back. It says the ministry leadership team. The ministers of the church, the congregation, that's you, all of you. We all have gifts and talents and visions and dreams and ability to build God's kingdom. It's not just one of us. It's not just one leader. It's, it's all of us. Let me share with you a personal story where I saw a great collaboration of leaders in order to build, uh, in order to accomplish one goal. So in um, the summer of 2011, I had an opportunity to take a mission trip to Ghana, Africa with my sister and her husband and their church from Deerfield, which is up by Chicago. And so our mission to this community was to go back and see what they had done the year before. The year before, this Deerfield church had built a section of their hospital because when people came to the hospital, there was no food for them to eat. Their loved ones had nothing. Can you imagine going there and there's nothing for you to eat? You're just laying in the bed. So when we went to visit this hospital, there were families with, uh, with their logs and their wood pots and, and, and cooking for the families that they had in the hospital cooking them meals. These were not hospitals like we have one like on every block. These were miles. They came from miles away. So what this church had done the year before was actually 
they had uh, built this wing of the hospital that was all set up for kitchens. And so now what they needed to do was find the people that was going to make the meals for, for them. So what we participated in was a dedication of that. And there was another goal in mind. That's just a small part of the story. But the other goal was that a meeting had to happen. And so we went to this one place in the town of Atebubu, Ghana. And there was a man that traveled with us. His name was Kwasi. Kwasi had been born and raised in Atebubu, had become very successful, had gone to the United States, um, had college, and was a professor in the Deerfield area. And he says, I'm going back to my native town to give back. And so he orchestrated this meeting. And, and now I am in a meeting where there are imams, which are Muslim leaders. There's lots of uh, Islam religion there, Islam uh, religion. There are the Christian leaders, because there is Christianity in the, in the area. There are the tribal leaders, because Africa and Ghana are all set up into their own little tribes. So there are tribal leaders. There are leaders of the Deerfield Church and civil leaders, those of the, the, the water and, and utilities and things like that. What I began to witness with all the dialects being spoken, I don't know, there's just like hundreds of dialects within Africa, all the interpretations that are going on, and this meeting is continually saying, thank you for the dedication of the hospital wing, but our people still need help. This is what we would like. And so all these leaders came together to say, we think this is the most important part. And the most important part, the next goal, was to build a well. See, fresh water is uh, hard to find in Africa. A lot of them don't have uh, sewage. Um, and so there's lots of disease. And so they came together. I saw kings with gold scepters kings with huge gold rings, kings sitting on gold chairs. It was just the most beautiful coming together of religious leaders and leaders of the community to accomplish a goal. And when I think of Nehemiah, that's what I see. That's what I see is, is many people, leaders, coming together to accomplish a goal. And that's what I see in our church today. The title of the message is Dream, Discouragement, and Opposition. I know I can relate to times of conflict in my own life and discouragement, and I bet you can too. So let's see what we can learn from Nehemiah and how to overcome conflict in our own lives. So we're going to be in Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6. If you want to turn with me, uh, otherwise it's on 478. Brian's got that up. And I'm just going to read those. Opposition to the rebuilding. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? 
Tobii, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah is not happy. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So what's going on here? Tobii and Sanballat are the mockers in the crowd. They're trying to thwart the work of God. These two were part of the Persian Empire, and to see success with the wall could mean their demise because Jerusalem just might be a strong fortress coming aboard. They're witnessing other people come into the city as it begins to grow, and they're actually afraid of what they're seeing. So by their ridicule and insults, even a fox could climb up in the wall and it would break. Foxes are pretty light, and so it was making fun of them. But the real reason is they're trying to discourage the workers through mockery and their criticism. Discouragement is a powerful weapon because it is the opposite of faith. Discouragement forgets God's promises and tends to believe that the worst is going to happen. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. God bless them, huh? They're out in the hot sun. So at this point, the confidence of the people cannot be shaken. Their minds are set on the task assigned to them, and they're succeeding in, in putting the walls back together. Nehemiah hears what's happening, and he is not falling to the schemes of those rabble-rousers. Verse 9, But we, I emphasize we, prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So what does Nehemiah do? That's right, he prays. He doesn't trade insults with these two mockers, but instead he rallies the Jewish people to pray. Their sure defense is to pray for and with the Almighty God. This is a collective prayer of the people. This isn't just Nehemiah's private little prayer. He's rallying the troops. But here's where it gets kind of sticky. Between the mockery and the insults from the two rabble-rousers, I love that, rabble-rousers, and fatigue, I think, with the Jewish builders, the task of building the wall is really taking its toll. I think that discouragement because of the amount of work left to be done, remember it said we built them halfway up, is overwhelming. Nehemiah not only begins to pray, but he knows that he now has to take action. Prayer and action follow each other. According to what God is telling you, prayer and action. You can't just pray, you can't just have action. Prayer and action always go together. So Nehemiah prepares for the battle and they begin to spread out to cover the entire walled area. 
Families alongside each other with their swords, spears, and bows and are asked to fight for their brothers, sons, and daughters, your wives and homes. This is big. And like I said before, families are together. They know something is coming about. They know there is conflict. But I tell you what, I know if I'm left to defend my family in my home, which is close by, I'm going to put up a real fight. Families together would be strong, they would be powerful, and they would stop at nothing to prevent that destruction. Overcoming adversity is just a part of life. It's about hardship, being afflicted with sickness, sadness, sometimes completely unfortunate situations. Adversity comes in many different ways through our church, through our finances, through our relationships. All of us face it. But the real question is, how are we going to respond? Some people look to escape, to complain, to withdraw, to not come to church, to not read your Bible. Hardships and any adversity leaves a person frustrated and discouraged. Life is just plain hard. Life is just a battle sometimes. You see, God has an enemy. His name is Satan. The evil one, the devil, a liar. God's enemy wants to stop God's plan and keeps him from allowing us to be who God wants us to be. Jesus says the devil is a liar and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's in John, the book of John. Hebrews 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. The struggle against us is to keep us, again, from becoming all God wants us to be. the devil was having a garage sale and he laid out all his tools worn rusty he had priced them all and customers came by and uh, this one gentleman says hey what are some of those tools what, what does that what does that do Satan says, you know what it does? That's my tools of envy and jealousy and hatred and lying. It goes on and on and on. And the customer says, yeah, but this tool here, wow, that's, uh, that's really worn. Looks like you've used it a lot. Satan says, oh, I do. That's the tool of discouragement. You see, I can pry open anybody's heart with discouragement. When I have discouragement... It is a powerful tool to get them to do what God does not want to do. You see, I use it on everybody. Nobody knows that it's being used sometimes. But I'm here to tell you the good news. God has a bigger and better tool. It's shiny, 
and it's bright. It's been used quite a bit. But what are those tools? How are we going to respond when conflict comes our way? How are we going to respond when we see Satan's tools coming into our life, dragging us down? Yep, discouragement is the tool. Still being used today. Satan wants to prevent us from seeking God. What are God's tools in order to fight our spiritual battles? Do you know what it is? It's the armor of God. You can turn with me into Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. I believe it's page... Uh, if I'm correct, 1177. I'm not going to read all of that, but I want you to follow along with me. It is a great chapter. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. First, we are to be strong in the Lord. Not strong by ourselves, but through the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians to take up the armor of God, not just part of it, not some of it, all of it. The belt of truth, the word of truth is the gospel. It connects you to the Bible and holds everything together to fit properly. It actually holds the sword and able to, enables you to fight. The breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, the devil wants to inflict harm our hearts. Christ in his righteousness protects our lives, protects our hearts, protects our chest. The shoes of peace. Peace is central to the gospel of Christ and his work on the cross which brought reconciliation to all of us as sinners. A Christian who walks in the peace of Christ needs very strong and stable shoes for the journey. The shield of faith. In Roman days, it was large enough to cover the whole entire body. Faith does that for Christians to help defend any attack from the opposing army. Faith overcomes adversity. The helmet of salvation, we have been given the mind of Christ, protected with the assurance and security of our salvation, filled with the words of God. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The word of God is alive and active. The word of God destroys all attempts by the enemy, the liar, the devil. And when tempted by him, Jesus even used scripture to attack him. Using the tools like Jesus to know that the scripture is there to be memorized, to be studied, to be learned. It is absolutely essential for any war, any spiritual battle. Use it often. So the final call, the equipment has been issued, and the final call is to be in militant prayer. Prayer is a means to shape his warriors, to keep alert, and to persevere. God covers your front with armor. Your prayer warriors cover your back. So that's why it's important to keep all of us prayed up and aware. Yes, these are God's tools big tools, big tools, 
anybody ever seen this size of a rent? Big tools. Our God is a big God. And he's here to fight for us. Second Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So Nehemiah 14, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Did you guys know that awesome was in the Bible? Now, I thought it was just today's language. Awesome. Like, what? That's awesome. It's awesome. Do you know when I researched, awesome is actually in the Bible 38 times. What? Awesome. Awe-inspiring. Fear of God. The awesomeness of God and his splendor. Could go on and on and on. Verse 20, we have a God who fights for us. He gives us tools to combat the spiritual battles in our lives and gives us confidence to keep marching on. Let us all rely on God through the moments in prayer. So as we gather next week for the Jubilee Sunday, we gather with our own families, with our church families, to celebrate God's goodness. We will stand together to build each other up in prayer to renew our faith through the power of Christ Jesus. Let us close. Dear Lord, you have already been our victory with Christ. Help us to trust in you, Jesus, and to utilize the power of prayer in our daily lives with the tools you have given us, tools with the armor of God, tools to know that you are there fighting for us. Help us to never give up, but to stand firm in you each day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together. Let's all meet up and celebrate next week together.
betrayals for he is faithful he fills me up and my cup runneth over no more betrayals for he is faithful how he is proving it over and over no more betrayals for he is faithful he fills me up and my cup runneth over no more betrayals for he is faithful how he is proving it over and over over and over what a friend we have in jesus east to west my sins are gone i see grace on every horizon and forever and ever his heart is my home what a friend we have in jesus east to remember we serve a big God God is bigger than any conflict God gives you the tools God gives you the armor of God God gives you prayer he gives you the Bible that we can freely read each and every day go and share your goodness share your faith and what God has done in your own life and we'll see you next Sunday and all God's people said amen, amen.